Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 144, A Conversation with Sherry Todd. Sherry is 48 years old, and in January 2022, she was diagnosed with a stage 2B invasive ductal carcinoma that was ERPR positive and HER2 negative. She went through surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and is now on tamoxifen. At the end of radiation, she developed rectal bleeding and was also diagnosed with colon cancer and required surgery for that. We talk about all of that on today's episode, and we talk a lot about survivorship. And one of the things that we talk about in detail is how Sherry actually felt worse after going through active treatment. And this is something that I do hear very often. She felt that she was at her lowest point mentally, struggling with severe depression, and a strong fear of cancer recurrence. Sherry was able to see an oncologist, trauma therapist, engage in mindset training, and talks about all of these changes that she's made to improve her mental health, staying present, managing anxiety in social situations, and more. There's a lot to take home from this conversation. Sherry is also an endurance athlete, and we talk about her exercise during and after treatment and what that has looked like. We talk about side effects from endocrine therapy, the recent surgery that she had to remove her ovaries and uterus and what that has been like. This conversation is a really accurate view of the ups and downs of survivorship. And it is my honor to welcome Sherry Todd to the Interlude podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. I am so excited to be here with Sherry. Sherry, welcome to the Interlude Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Toplansky. I'm excited to be here too. It's so fun to see you like face to face after like being running buddies and stuff all this time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. I know you're always posting about your athletic uh, endeavors, running, lifting, you lift really heavy. I want to hear all about that. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction about who you are? Yeah. So um, I'm Sherry. I'm 48. Um, I live in Southern California. Um, I previous before my cancer diagnosis, um, have done a ton of different athletic things. Um, I was into endurance sports for quite a while. So I've done a ton of marathons, some ultra marathons. I've done a full Ironman. Um, and then I got into like CrossFit and powerlifting. So I've done a bunch of heavy lifting stuff as well. Um, right at the time that I got diagnosed, which was in January of 2022, I was training for the LA marathon, which I was thanks to an awesome, um, surgical oncologist able to run two days before my partial mastectomy. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I was at before my diagnosis and kind of what I was doing, um, when that all hit last year. Did you, when we're talking about your diagnosis, was it done on a routine mammogram? Did you feel a mass? 
So I felt a mass, uh, which was observed in 2015. And um, I found that on self-exam. It was um, observed with ultrasound and mammogram. And then it was eventually biopsied with an um, ultrasound guided biopsy in 2016 and determined to be normal. Um, I continued to have imaging um, and it was it basically released to be once a year mammograms at some point because they felt it was stable. Um, in 2020, it started to grow exponentially and it was very difficult to get imaging done um, because of the pandemic. And by the time I was able to get in with a surgeon, it was it took me about eight months to get in with a surgeon and to get imaging in 2021. 2020, it was impossible. 2021, it was so large that you could see it uh, when I was wearing clothing. Um, so I got them to remove it. Everyone thought it was benign. It still looked benign on imaging. It looked like a benign fiber adenoma. Um, so, and I actually had my results emailed to me. The doctor didn't, um, read them in time before I got them. So I got them via email after five o'clock <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, with some DCIS, um, ERPR positive or two negative. Um, it was a really large mass. It was six centimeters. Um, but yeah, there eventually through all the surgeries and stuff that I had, I had no lymph node involvement. So, uh, it ended up being stage two B just based on the size. And what was going through your mind? You're training for the marathon. Like all of this is happening. How did it feel to get those news? I think it just felt like it didn't make sense. I mean, I would say almost every person that knew me was like, how do you have cancer? All of my adult life, I've been extremely healthy, fit, um, aware of my nutrition, aware of my fiber intake. Um, and it was just really felt like my body had betrayed me. I felt like I put all this work in and to be this person, this healthy person. And I just felt like I didn't trust my body. And I felt so confused as how that happened to me. You know, and I, I think people say this all the time, you know, how did you like, how did this happen to you? You're so healthy. Did those comments, I'm curious, did those comments help? Or did they make it feel even harder? I think that the comments that I got most frequently was, well, did you do this? What did you think caused it? Did you think, did you do this thing? Oh, do you eat out of plastic um, materials? Do you use bleach when you clean your house? And it made me feel like um, in order for other people to feel safe, they needed to figure out what caused my cancer so that they could reassure and soothe themselves that they weren't in that position as well, which I understood, but it still didn't feel very good. <laughs> you know, logically, it's like, well, I don't use bleach or whatever. I <laughs> use plastic. So thus I will not get cancer. It is. It's a self-protective yes. self mechanism. We see people do that all the time, but they don't really stop and think about how it makes the other person feel. And that's why I think having sure. conversations are really important because maybe someone listening will say, Oh, you know what? I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to ask that again. Uh, yes. So what happened? Walk us through what happened after that. So uh, last year was quite a year for me. So I had, um, I had a partial mastectomy and they, uh, just to check her lymph nodes. Then I had my tumor. It's a test similar to an oncotype. It's called EndoPredict. It's just the one my, my company used. Um, it was determined that I needed to have chemotherapy. So I did five months of chemotherapy. I did Taxol and AC, 
And then uh, I did two months of radiation. I did 35 radiation treatments. Um, And since my um, cancer is hormone receptor positive, I'm now on tamoxifen. Um, I also had, (laughs) I had a colonoscopy at the request of my, um, my radiation oncologist, because I had some blood in my stool, uh, which I assumed was from diarrhea from chemo, because I had terrible diarrhea. Uh, I had a polyp that was colon cancer. Um, No family history of any cancer whatsoever. So um, that was really hard. (laughs) But since uh, when was that kind of in relation to everything else? So it was at the very end of radiation, I got um, the colonoscopy done as soon as I finished radiation. Um, since it was caught early, uh, they were able to remove all of it and I needed no further treatment regarding that. Um, so here's my plug. Uh, they're doing colonoscopies at 45. If you're persistent, get your colonoscopies. I know it stinks. I know it's hard, but trust me, you don't want to have late stage colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, and the reason they're doing them at 45 instead of 50 is because younger people are being diagnosed. You know, they don't, they don't like to change these guidelines. I mean, it just took like years to change the guidelines from breast cancer screening. So the fact that they change them from 50 to 40 is a really big deal. Absolutely. And I'm, I mean, I pretty much make everybody that I know, like get a colonoscopy now because I mean, I literally, my oncologist is like, yeah, you don't need to do anything else. They caught it early. You're good to go. And man, after being through what I was, what I went through, that's music to your ears. So that was in November. And then, um, I also opted to get a total hysterectomy, um, due to the, the increased risk of uterine cancer. And then as well as, uh, I'm already 48, so I don't, uh, desire to have ovarian suppression, you know, continually for the next five years. So I got that done, um, six and a half weeks ago. Um, so yeah, people will come back to the surgery in a second, but I know people will ask, you know, genetic testing. Did you have that done? I did. So I went to city of hope and I was, they were doing a study with, um, expanded genetic testing. All of my genetic testing was negative. And so we see this all the time. And, and I think a good plug in addition to getting your colonoscopy is that the lack of a genetic mutation does not mean someone is not at increased risk for cancer. No. And I have zero family. The only family history of disease that I have is all lifestyle onset disease, which is one of the reasons I was motivated to be so healthy. Um, but then, you know, I'm the pioneer in family for getting cancer. Apparently (laughs) what the heck, but being healthy to put a positive, you know, because I think one of the questions I get asked is, well, why did I do all of this? You know, and, and how you're telling me after cancer that I should continue to work out and be healthy. And I did all that beforehand and it didn't, not that it didn't help you, but I was still diagnosed with cancer. And to that, we have enough data to say that even if you did all the quote right things before your diagnosis, still get diagnosed, being healthy after still reduces your risk of recurrence. So it's not like it doesn't help you. It also helps you feel better. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, I tolerated treatment really well. And I think that that is um, just a testimony to being healthy and having a body that um, aside from, you know, cancer, uh, all of, all systems were working really well. So, and I mean, I had this tumor in my body for, um, gosh, seven years. And I mean, thank God it didn't spread. And so I'm like, you know, I, I tell myself, well, being healthy wasn't for nothing. Exactly. How you ran the marathon, 
and what did training look like both during treatment and after? So during treatment, uh, for the most part, I was able to maintain my running through chemo. Um, Definitely kept my expectations very reasonable. Um, If I had a day where I was super fatigued or um, wasn't able to get the hydration or nutrition that I knew I needed to do longer miles, I definitely listened to my body. Um, Towards the end, um, I would say the last like So I did five months and I would say the last month, my hemoglobin was pretty low. And so I would get short of breath pretty easily. Um, So I stopped running, I think the last month of chemo because it just, I mean, even walking up the stairs with a laundry basket, I felt like I was like gasping for breath, but um, I still walked. I tried to get in about eight to 10,000 steps per day. And I still did light resistance training as well. Um, Obviously nothing really heavy. I tended to use dumbbells so that I was doing, um, movements that could be adapted to the affected side of my body as well as the other side. And, um, I think that that really helped me feel like I wasn't completely losing touch with my body. Um, as as somebody that's been an athlete for a very long time, um, I feel very intimately connected with my body and it felt very strange to have all of these things happening to my body and feel like that relationship was, um, kind of on the outs. <laughs> so um, exercising really helped me stay connected to my body um, in a good way. And I'm, I'm sure there were low points in terms of how you were feeling frustration with maybe not being able to move the way that you normally moved, uh, normally did. How did you move through those? I don't want to say move past them, but you know, I always like to tell people the only way through is through, uh, and you have to be in it. So what helped you or how did you kind of be in it? So, um, I would say there's a twofold answer to that during treatment. Um, one of the funniest things you don't think about all the hair that you have on your body that you lose. And so one of the things that you don't think about is your nose hair. And it's hilarious because when I would hike or run or anything, you know, your nose hair, catches snot and boogers. And you don't realize how much you appreciate that until it's gone. Because whenever I would hike, I would like just snot would like come out of my nose and it would just feel, you just felt sort of gross. And like, I don't want to be doing this. I'm sweating. I'm walking up this hill and it's so hard. But I think the thing that helped me was having positive friends around me that would let me feel however I was going to feel that day and still find positive things about the exercise experience. Um, especially hiking. I love being in nature. So that was helpful, but also after treatment, I definitely thought I'm done with treatment. My body's going to be good to go. And I jumped right back into, I'm going to do this triathlon and I'm going to get in great shape. And I'm going to prove that, you know, this cancer didn't get the best of me. And basically I, after about a month of that, I completely hated all exercise. I was convinced that my body was ruined and I felt worse as time went on. And that was just so surprising to me that, um, like you don't see the effects from radiation. You don't see the cumulative effects from chemo right when you're done. I mean, that continues to progress for a bit. And I wish that I would have listened to the people who had gone before me that told me you're not ready yet. Don't jump in yet. It takes like six months to eight months, even if you were really fit before, um, I felt like a failure. I felt like lazy. I felt like my body was betraying me. And it was mentally a really, really low point for me, probably the lowest um, through the whole journey, even including being diagnosed. 
I hear that a lot, that the time after that active treatment is sometimes the hardest because when you're going through chemo, it's kind of cycle to cycle and you're really focused also on the physical, on the physical side effects of managing your nausea and diarrhea. And then as that slowly starts to maybe get better or kind of not get worse, all the other things emerge that maybe you weren't really paying as much attention, you know, cause you're in survival mode. I think that's the best way to put it during chemo. It is completely survival mode. And then you get to breathe a little bit. And a lot of people kind of go, wait, what just happened? Absolutely. And I think for me, and I don't know if you find this with your patients, but I really didn't grasp um, the huge like feelings about the risk of recurrence until I was done with active treatment. And just the fact of how invasive ductal carcinoma comes back, if it comes back, um, it's very overwhelming. And um, I spent probably two months constantly feeling like I was going to die. Like, I just felt like this really strong impending sense of doom. And I'm, I mean, I've been through some crap in my life. I've, you know, I, I had a, a hard childhood. I was in a 20 year like marriage that was abusive. I got out of all that. So I feel like I'm this super positive, um, nothing gets me down. I can overcome anything type of person. And let me tell you, I was not overcoming this. I was extremely depressed. I think that I was probably getting close to the point of being suicidal for the first time in my life ever with everything that I've gone through. Um, and I'm not, if you talk to anybody that knows me, they would all say, no way, not Sherry Todd. She's not that person, but I'm here to tell you that this is different than anything else you go through because it's inside of you. It's not something that's happening, a circumstance that you're in. It's something that's physically happening inside of your body and you can't escape it. And so, yeah, I, I didn't expect that. And I was really bowled over by it and felt like I didn't have the tools to move through that, um, until I contacted a social worker at City of Hope and she got me connected with a, an oncology trauma therapist. And after a few sessions of talking through things with her and her helping me reframe things, um, and also I had a nutrition coach that I had been working with for like three or four years that works on mindset training. And he invested the time to like keep pursuing me and call me to see how I was doing and talk through some mindset stuff with me and mantras. And um, I feel like they that combination pulled me out of that pit, but man, it was very unexpected and very, very dark. Thank you for sharing that. You know, the perspective of it being inside you rather than externally is, it's really interesting. And I think you're right. I think it, it frames how people react. People do really struggle with that fear of recurrence right after treatment. Because again, when you're going through it, it's, what do I have to do? And you're also doing something, you know, chemo is this as terrible as it is for many people, it is a protective kind of blanket in a sense, you know, you know, you're doing something. And also I think when you're in active treatment, people are cheering you on. People are sending you messages. People are saying you're doing so good. Um, people think of you. And then afterwards, it almost feels like people are like, get over it. Like, you know, you're, but that almost feels like the worst part because when you're in chemo, like you said, you're very focused. It's like, you do this thing, then you do this thing. And I get my white count boosters. Then I, you know, get my blood work then I get this and you're on a schedule and somebody's telling you what to do and you get done. You're like, okay, so like, it's just me and my cancer in the world here. Like <laughs> it's a free for all. And it just, it feels so scary and untethered from anything. 
and you're also not coming to the doctors as often. So the check check-ins kind of get less frequent. Yeah. And if you get any testing, like um, my doctor liked to do a baseline CT after active treatment and they found things, incidental findings on my baseline CT. So I had that, that colonoscopy that found something Then I had a CT that found something and it just felt like, okay, like my body's just, just riddled with disease, you know, but then you get some distance, you get some clean scans, you get some tests that say you're okay. Your doctor tells you you're okay. And you start to breathe a little bit, but man, it's, it's rough. That first part's rough. How do you, how did you process some of those incidental findings? Because I tell people what incidental findings all day long. And I think, and I think this is where there is a, um, there is a disconnect between doctor and patient, because in my mind is, well, this is an incidental finding. It's probably not clinically significant. We can't really do anything about it right now. And let's scan in six months. And I send you this message and then the patient has to sit with this for six months. Yeah. So I think one of the things that really helped me is get a doctor that you trust. I was with an oncologist. I actually was not with one oncologist. I was with five oncologists within five months because I was with a terrible clinic. But once I got with a doctor that I trusted, one of the things I did immediately was I turned off notifications on my chart before my, and I asked my doctor, can I do this? And will you promise that you're going to look at my results and send me the information? So I'm not looking at results without the benefit of you explaining them to me, because I did that with my CT and I basically figured I'm a goner, I'm dying. And thankfully I have a wonderful doctor that knew I was suffering with anxiety. She made it a point on a Friday afternoon to call me. I mean, I only talked to her for about five minutes, but she was like, I actually pulled the imaging. I looked at it. There is absolutely nothing on there that convinces me this is anything to be worried about. But it took me probably three weeks to not feel like I was having panic attacks from reading that stinking CT thing. Because now in the state of California, they give the patients the results at the same time as the doctor. So I turned those notifications off. And now that I have a doctor that I trust, I actually, you know, let her do her job. So I believe her. And I tell her, like, don't BS me. Tell me if it's something to worry about. And she promises she will. And that relationship and trust has helped so much to ease my anxiety because she looks at this stuff all day long and she knows what is like a red flag and what isn't. And once I established in my mind, this is my doctor, I'm going to trust her because it's her job to take care of me. And it's my job to be like a good patient. That really helped me reframe things and not feel like I have to constantly be hyper vigilant, looking for any little sign of anything. It's like, if you notice something and it's happening frequently, write it down, shoot your doctor a quick message or whatever, but you don't need to guard your health because you have an expert on your side. That is basically your team leader. And you just need to be a good team member and give her all the information or him. I mean, boys can be doctors too. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and give her all the information that she needs so that she could do her job. And then you do your job, which is you do like the things you're supposed to do. So that really helped me reframe things and move forward in a positive way where I wasn't constantly feeling like every little twinge was a panic attack waiting to happen, if that makes sense. I, I really like that perspective. And I think that t- little tip of turning off the notifications is huge because it is, it's a huge. Federal, law, federal law that- Oh, federal. Federal. So everyone has to get the results at the same time because as a patient, you are entitled to your results. The problem that we see is that six o'clock or seven o'clock on Friday night notification where 
the pathologists are just signing everything out because they want to be, you know, clean slate for Monday and no one else has seen the results. And now people are Googling all weekend. Yes. Yes. You know, and so there, there's a lot of, I'm a big proponent of patients having all of their results, but there is a way that this is not the best way to do it. Yes, I agree. And even, I mean, I'm sure your patients can relate. Even just seeing the MyChart symbol on my phone mm-hmm. creates a visceral physical response for me. That's not helpful. It's not helpful for my health. I can wait. I can look at the email and it, I'm going to see it within 24 hours. There's absolutely no reason for me to have a notification on my phone that's going to make me feel like I'm having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So and I'm not saying that's right for everybody, but for me, I'm like, what's the benefit versus like the risk of doing this behavior? And for me, having that, those notifications it has no extra added benefit because I know my doctor's looking at my results. And I also know if I haven't heard from her in a week, I can go on my chart and look at it, you know? Yeah. I think what our hospital has done for at least some things that we're able to do within the confines of the law is at least for like blood work and tumor markers or whatever, it, it, it'll be in your portal. We don't use Epic. We use a different system. It'll be in your portal, but you won't get an alert until the doctor has reviewed it and like sent you, you know, so sent you a message. So at least it's there if you want it, but you're not yes. getting that like pop up, you know, on again, we'll just go with Friday night because <laughs> I mean, I think we talk a lot about the notification of your pathology or your scan reports, but you know, the other thing is that low blood count. And now for a weekend, you're not sure if you're going to get chemotherapy or not on the next day. I mean, those things too are really, really scary. Absolutely. And if there's nothing that you can do about it, why put yourself through that? I mean, you can have, it's very hard to be present when you're constantly feeling hypervigilant about your future. And so I think learning to be present as much as possible and using mindfulness practices. Um, I, I, I saw a cognitive behavioral therapist that helped me use practices such as like using your five senses to note what's going on around you in the moment, um, just to ground yourself and realize, you know, yeah, cancer is very scary. Um, full stop. Cancer is very scary. We have to live within that reality and we want to live fully. And we're not going to do that if we're constantly reading charts and getting notifications and trying to run through every single scenario in our mind. If our cancer does come back, wouldn't it be better if we're present with our children, if we're present with the events that are going on around us and whatever it takes, I mean, be like crazy vicious about cutting the things out that take away your ability to be present because basically that's, that's all we have. And especially as cancer patients, you know? So how kind of taking that one step further, how do you stay present? You know, if you find, okay, you, there's that, my chart notification or you, you're wandering, what grounds you back? So there's when I'm in the moment of feeling really panicked, um, a couple of the things that worked was the five senses thing that I told you about. And I try to, for me, this is just how my brain works. I try to use the five senses as though I'm writing a little story for somebody that I'm going to send it to. So I actually try to really engage with like, if I'm smelling orange blossoms, I try to think of like different words that describe how it smells. If I see something, I try to think of different words that describe describe the colors. And it really helps me get into the present. Another thing, which is kind of fun if you like chocolate, is to get um, a chocolate chip, one chocolate chip, and put it on your tongue and let it melt. 
and think of like, how does it taste? How's the sensation of this chocolate in my mouth? Does it taste like anything else I've tasted before? Those are just some really, really practical ways to be present. And I think um, extending it further than that, um, creating mantras, and this is something that my nutrition coaches helped me with, creating mantras when you start to get these invasive cyclical thoughts that lead to anxiety and fear creating mantras that create new thought patterns. So for example, when I would think, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what this test result means. Uh, I would think to myself, you know, Dr. Garg is my my doctor and I trust her and she's a good doctor and she's looking out for me. I'm so grateful for her. And just repeating that over and over, instead of fixating on what does this mean? What does this, oh, do I have a new lung nodule? You know, what does this mean? Um, Creating new words that I want to become thought patterns And it feels so um, awkward and cheesy at first to use mantras, but really we're telling ourselves what to think, whether we think the negative thoughts or we think the positive thoughts. So just be a little cheesy, like in the moment and sit down and write the thoughts that you want to be thinking, the thoughts that are helpful to you. And they don't have to be like dumb, like unrealistic thoughts. They can be very realistic, great things, you know, that you can um, dwell on rather than dwelling on the things you're afraid of. And what about, I think that's really helpful advice. What about if you are, let's say with your family or with a group of friends and you just don't feel that you're present or you're drawn to your phone or you're, you're waiting for results. Like how do you stay present in social situations? Cause I think we talk a lot about mantras and, but we don't talk a lot about that piece of it. So for me, um, and this is a huge thing for me, I'm a big community and um, I host a run and for a decade. And yeah, I love it. Um, and I spend a lot of time with my family. So I think it's great that you brought up the phone. For me, that was a way, almost like how people use alcohol. I was using my phone to distract and numb myself. So um, you can go on your phone. There's a screen time setting. Go ahead and set that screen time setting and limit your screen time during periods that you know you're going to be around your family. It actually darkens and shuts down all your apps. You can still totally use them, but you have to choose to use those apps during that time. And it also won't give you notifications. So your phone's not drawing your eye. Um, The phone is a big way of avoiding and numbing that becomes, at least for me, it became an addiction when I was really anxious. Um, So I think that's that's one thing. Another thing is um, for me in social situations, I made sure that I was around people that felt safe. There were times where I had to say, you guys, I feel really disconnected right now. I just, I feel really scared. And I would just stop and I would let my friends ask me questions about that. And I would let them interact with that. And I found that actually voicing the thoughts that were going on in my head uh, when I was with safe people, I mean, everybody's been through something, whether they've told you or not. If you have people in your life that you love that are safe people that love you, they've all been through something. And maybe it hasn't been cancer but they've been through something that they can recognize a look in your eye and they'll connect with you about that and they will be there for you. And I think one of the big things, especially us type A ladies that um, are used to controlling everything and being the ones that control the narrative in our social groups and in our friend groups, let your friends be there for you. Just like you love to be there for other people and you like to be the one people call for support. Let other people experience that and be a blessing to you during this time. And I think speaking out how you're feeling and allowing people to interact with that, it can in some ways bring comfort and you can feel seen and heard 
And then you can re-engage with what's going on around you because you don't feel like you're trapped underwater in a pool watching life go on above the surface with you like down here with your dark fears and your dark thoughts. You've allowed other people to carry that with you. And I think those, the phone thing, I'm so glad you brought that up because that became a huge, huge thing for me. I was avoiding life with my phone and I'm like, no, this is going to stop. I'm not going to do this anymore. But it felt, I mean, I kept grabbing my phone and I'm like, oh my word, I'm totally addicted. Yeah. And I, I think that that addiction is a lot of people. I mean, we oh, all, yeah. we all do it, right. We're all okay. Yeah. Like, you know, it was funny. It was on a flight and, um, you know, back in the day, right. We never had Wi-Fi on our flight. Now we're like <laughs> yeah. Wi-Fi. So this flight didn't have Wi-Fi. It didn't work. And uh, the second I've landed, I'm like, Oh, I got to check my email. Right. As if like something is drastic has happened in the last two hours on a Sunday, like, come on. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I think we're all at that point where we do tend, I mean, I, I really try to be conscious of this, but I feel like in social situations, it's easy to pick up, like disconnect. And I think those, I love what you said about really disengaging from your phone and being present is so important. Definitely. Definitely. Now done with treatment. Now tamoxifen also, I just want to say like tamoxifen is not an easy medication. I think we all think chemo, la 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 tamoxifen, but it comes with a lot of side effects for some people. Yeah. I actually just took a break for a week. Um, I had, like I said, I had my hysterectomy about six and a half weeks ago. And, um, so I experienced a lot of joint pain on tamoxifen, which I don't know how common that is, but I mean, debilitating joint pain, which I'm not sure if that's from the tamoxifen or from the chemo, but, um, like to where when I got up and walked, it took me probably a good four to five minutes to be actually mobile in the morning. Um, and then, oh my goodness, the hot flashes and just the, um, slowing of my metabolism. Um, you know, I've tracked my macros and nutrition for years and, um, kind of knowing what I'm eating and seeing what, um, cause I gained some weight when I was on chemo that I wanted, to, especially running. I just wanted to drop that. Um, not necessarily for aesthetic purposes. Well, maybe a little for aesthetic purposes, but also for performance purposes. Um, it was definitely hard. So, and then after my, um, hysterectomy, um, oh my gosh, the hot flashes, I can't even like, it's hard. So horrible. <laughs> it's so hard. So I took a break for a week and I started back up on Saturday. Cause I wanted to kind of see what was tamoxifen, what was, um, and the joint almost all my joint pain was gone. So I just started taking it again and I haven't gotten the joint pain back, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I might switch to an AI after, since I had my, um, hysterectomy, but we'll see, but no, that, and knowing that you have to take it for 10 years is when you get a side effect, you're like, I, I struggle with all or nothing thinking anyways. So I'm just like, Oh, well, this is my life now. Like, this is just how I have to live, you know? And then it can be very overwhelming. (laughs) Um, how do you feel in menopause? You know, it hasn't been too terrible. I mean, I feel I don't have any emotional um, issues with it. My kids are 28 and 19. So I've been knowing that I'm done with kids for a long time. And I know that for some women that can be really hard. Um, So I didn't struggle with that emotional component at all. Um, I think the hot flashes have been hard. Um, I had endometriosis. So to be honest, in some ways, it's a little bit better for me. Um, But I think just mostly dealing with the, probably the weight gain, the hot flashes. I haven't had a ton of mood swings. My husband can verify, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um, I do find that almost all of my symptoms are better with exercise. And when I eat well and stay hydrated, I mean, I would say they're, 
I mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but I would say they're 40 to 50% better when I, I mean, especially the hot flashes, I would say when I exercise and eat well, and especially when I eat like a lot of, um, whole foods and drink a lot of water, I think they're a lot better. And, and we know that they can make them better. What a lot of people struggle with though, is when they don't feel good, let's say they're having horrible hot flashes and nights, but they didn't get a good night's sleep. Now they're waking up even more achy and we're like, well, you should go exercise. And they kind of, you know, I can see them in my office wanting to kill me. Like they're literally shooting daggers at me. They're like, who is this woman telling me I feel awful? So how do you, how do you get past that? Like, oh, I really don't feel good. And maybe you don't necessarily experience that, but what tips do you have for people I do. to say, look, I really don't feel good, but I, I gotta, I know this is going to help me feel better. So definitely sleep has been an issue for me. And I have always been a really good sleep hygiene gal. I mean, I, I've like had my life finely tuned in for all these like maximal, you know, benefits and sleep has definitely been an issue probably since chemo. So, um, I've definitely had mornings where I've woken up and I'm supposed to exercise. I feel like crap. I feel like I honestly can't even keep my eyes open. Um, I feel like at work, I'm a zombie. I I feel tears in my eyes because I just feel so terrible. Um, so the things that have helped me during that, um, I like to allow myself to identify what the problem is, but I try to, once I'm clear and I identify what the problem is, I try not to verbalize it overly and I try not to dwell on it overly. I try to then switch my thinking to, okay, now we know what the problem is. What's the solution? And I try to switch my thinking to what the solution is. And sometimes I mean, that solution is let's drink a cup of ice water right now. I'm so hot. I'm going to drink a cup of ice water. Sometimes that solution is I'm going to, you know what? I was going to run today. I'm going to walk for five minutes. And if I still feel okay after that, I'm going to walk for five more minutes. The solution is never do exactly what you're doing now, which is laying in bed and feeling terrible. The solution's never that if you want to feel better. So the solutions do something. And maybe that's just getting out of bed, splashing some cold water on your face and putting clothes on. Maybe it's just getting up and making yourself a cup of tea, but it's moving in a direction that is going to make you feel better and not sitting in the place that you're already in talking about the place that you're already in. And I think that has really helped me, especially on days like right now I'm training for a half marathon. I'm doing a half marathon in a little less than four weeks. And there have been days where I slept like four and a half hours because I had so many hot flashes and I'm waking up and I have a long run and I'm thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I always tell myself, you know what? Get out there and run to mile two. If you feel that horrible, fuck the rest. If you feel that horrible, turn around and walk back. You don't have to do the whole thing, but prep for the whole thing and see what you can do. And then when you get to the next mile, you know, do the next thing. It kind of reminds me like when I used to do ultra marathons, you would get to like, you get so tired. And I mean, okay, I know for the average person not doing ultra marathons, maybe that sounds like don't tune out. Like, don't think this is, this is not about me. This is about anything you do. This is the same. Like when I went through a divorce and you had to like get up every day and like face your kids who were sad. This is the same as like when we went through the pandemic and we didn't know what the hell was going on. It's the same with anything. It's universal. I'm using this as an example, but pull up your example from your own life and think about that. But the example is what's the next thing I'm going to do that makes me feel better. And so like when I was in, when I was running an ultra, the aid stations are like seven miles apart. Right. So you have a lot of time to think about how bad you feel <laughs> when you get tired. And so I would always think like, okay, when I get to the next aid station, I'm going to take three sips of red Gatorade. And then I'm going to have two bites of a peanut 
butter and jelly sandwich. I have found that to be so applicable to life. When I get to work and I feel really exhausted and I have a 50 page contract I have to go through, I always think to myself, I'm going to do two pages and then I'm going to get up and get a drink of water and just like walk to the restroom and back. And then if I still feel okay, I'm going to do two more pages. And I always try to think about like, what's the next little thing that I can do that's going to make me feel better. But the thing that's not going to make me feel better is staying exactly where I am and fixating on the problem. That's not an option. Anything else is an option. Anything else. That is a great, great mentality. I, you know, tell people this, let's focus on this day of chemo or this week of chemo, right? Because when you think of that six months, it is, and then surgery and radio, it is so daunting, the bite size. And I think that's what you're getting at these bite size things that we can do to help ourselves feel better. And everything that you're saying is applicable in all aspects of life because everyone goes through hard things, whether it's cancer or not, everyone's got their own thing that they're, that they could use that approach and that mentality with. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I got a divorce and I had, I had an eight-year-old that was so sad and I just thought, I can't go on. Like I would, I would think like, oh, I just can't go on. I can't, I can't do this life. And I would always think, don't think about everything. Just think about the next thing. I mean, think about the people that lived through like the great depression. Think about the people that lived in pioneer days. I mean, the human nature thrives. That's what we do. And we're part of that. Like we're at a certain point of the spectrum in, you know, the lifespan of humans. And we have that same um, goodness in us that all of those people did, but we have to figure out what our next thing is. And sometimes that next thing is so small. Sometimes it's putting chapstick on when your mouth is dry from chemo. Sometimes it's just using some mouthwash so that you feel a little bit better if you're in active treatment. Sometimes it's doing the stretches for radiation, but there's always something little you can do that's the next thing. And don't think about everything. Just think about the next thing. I love that. Did you ever think about, you know, I think when you were talking about okay, walking for five minutes, walking for 10 minutes, did your mind ever go to you know, I, I was running ultra marathons and now I'm convincing myself to walk for five minutes because I, I think that that can be really tough. It's been a huge um, mental struggle getting back to running because I'm running, my heart rate has been still elevated um, during activity from where it was pre-chemo. And um, it's been very humbling to run at slower paces Um, so that I can feel um, able to run, especially with endurance sports. You know, it's not about the pace. It's about how much you can sustain for how long. And so um, I actually switched to a different modality of training, which is 80-20 training. Um, I won't go into that specifically, but I would say I think the main thing is always keep working on it. Don't quit. Show up. Do what you can. And if it's not working for you, be okay with saying, you know what, I've done this, like I did a certain style of training for, geez, 17 years. And I'm not doing that right now because I, it wasn't enjoyable. I didn't wake up looking forward to it. And you're not going to look forward to every single thing you do, but you shouldn't also dread everything, yeah. everything you do. So for me, it's like, try a group class, try, especially specifically regarding exercise or nutrition, try getting prepackaged vegetables, try getting a meal prep service, try getting, um, you know, a coach, if you need to try walking with friends, try, um, you know, doing body weight exercises. There's always something that you can try and don't feel married to anything that you were doing before because you're a beginner now. 
Um, I even made it a point this week to, um, I have a little whiteboard that has my uh, PRs for like lifting and I erased all those because I'm like, no, you're a new person. You're going to create new PRs now after cancer. And that was a big mental win for me because um, comparing, as we know, to anyone, like if we want to compare ourselves to others, it's just going to make us feel crappy, but also comparing ourselves to the previous versions of ourselves before cancer, we looked different. Our bodies were different. We could do different things. We had capacities that were different than what they are now. And those things aren't failures now. They're just different because we're beginning. We're a new person. And so it's okay to stop thinking, when am I going to get back to where I was before and thinking, I'm excited to see the person that I'm going to be able to become despite having cancer. And I think that's a really important clarification because I kept waiting to return to the person I was before. And I really had to grieve the fact that that is not going to happen. That person is in the past and I'm going to create somebody that probably has a lot of things similar to that person, but there's going to be different things too. And they're not all bad. They're not all bad. We have so much compassion and so much um, strength from going through cancer. And it's important to remember that the things that we've gotten from cancer, cancer is not a gift. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> Nobody thinks it's a gift. It's not a gift. If anybody tells you it's a gift, be like, mm, really? No, it's not a gift. <laughs> just want to get that It didn't come in a pretty box. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that no matter what life hands you, no matter how crappy it is, you can always um, see the silver linings that come from it. Think of all of the people that you meet just because of cancer, you know, and the strength and the compassion that you get to offer to other people and shine a light for them when they're in the midst of the darkness that you've already walked through. So, I mean, I think just remembering that you're never going to get back to the person you were. Um, for any athletes that are listening to this, um, there's a great athlete, Tommy uh, Rives, and he was an ultra marathon runner and he had a pretty aggressive form of cancer. But I mean, he walked, he walked the New York marathon um, when he first came back to running. Can you imagine? He was a winner in ultra marathons, this big badass guy that was like winning all of these races. He wasn't too proud to walk and let other people see what he could do. And that was just a huge inspiration for me of like, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. I love that. We can talk forever, but I do feel like it's <laughs> a great point to end that because it's, it is, it is really, I, I think to just come back to those basics of one day at a time, start slow and, and move forward. Right. Forward is a pace. Yes. I say that all the time. Forward slow. I love that. Forward is still a pace, you know, and whether that's going through chemo, whether that's your 20 mile run, you're like, why? <laughs> 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 um, but forward, you, you're moving forward. Um, where can people connect with you if they want, if they, your story resonated with them, if they want to hear more. Yeah, please just check me out on Instagram. I'm at Sherry Thrives, S-H-A-R-I for Sherry. Um, and I'm always welcome for DMs if you have any questions or you just need somebody to voice message with. I know that um, don't be alone. If you have cancer, find somebody that you connect with, whether it's on social media or in real life, and don't be alone. Community and connection is key to survival and not just survival, but thriving. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great to talk to you, Dr. Toplinski.
Thank you all for listening to this conversation. I loved talking with Sherry, hearing about everything that she has gone through, through her treatment and beyond. And, and really reminds me of why these conversations are so important to shed light on people's experiences and journeys that are not often talked about and hopefully will validate what someone else is feeling and is going through. You can find Cherry on Instagram at Cherry Thrives. And I definitely recommend reaching out and connecting with her if anything you heard resonated with you today. As always, you can find me at Dr. Duplinski on all social media platforms. And if you enjoy this podcast, I am always grateful if you can take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, as that is the best way to grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Thank you all for being here, and I will see you soon.